Drive into Wyoming and the freaking speed limit is 80 miles an hour. Yeah, we can't go 80 miles an hour. You got that pressure right out of the gate where you're like, you know, trying to go as fast as you can. There was always one or two ways we could go and you had to make the decision based off of time of day, how's the truck doing? Is it gonna be wildlife along this trail? Do we have to be on an interstate? Can we go down a two lane road? When we were there, we ran into our second truck issue. If it was seven blinks, there was three possible things it could be. And one of them was like disastrous. One of them is like, if your ECU or ECM is bad, you're hosed. So then my confidence is kind of shot. And then I'm thinking, what do we do? We go, of course. Yes, onward, northbound. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week, Ron Hayes and myself, Mark Raycroft, are catching up with Mike and Missy after their epic road trip, nine days from Denver, Colorado to Anchorage, Alaska, through all kinds of wilderness, all kinds of adventure. I'm excited to hear what's unfolded. I, of course, have received some texts, some photos, some calls, some talks along the way, but just snippets. And we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, all the effort that was put into preparations for this trip, this bucket list trip for Michael. And now we get to download it, hear how it went, hear what they saw, and trust me, this is one worth listening to. Well, guys, you're in Anchorage. How's it going? You survived. The truck survived. The 1987 Forerunner rebuilt tiny truck made it. It made it. There were some trials and tribulations along the way. And I, I don't know. I I think I thought about doing this podcast the whole way. And my thought, I think where I've ended up is highly recommend doing this trip, but I would do it in a new vehicle. This is a comfort thing, isn't it? I'm guessing. Is this a comfort thing? Well, or is it's, it a worry it's about kind of a worry and it's kind of, and then comfort. I mean, we were pretty comfortable along the way. I mean, you probably saw some of the posts when we left. You go drive into Wyoming and the freaking speed limit is 80 miles an hour. Zing. Yeah. We can't go 80 miles an hour. So then you got that pressure right out of the gate where you're like, you know, trying to go as fast as you can. And I'm like, this poor truck's going to die before we ever get to Ron's house in Douglas. Okay, well, yeah. Speaking of comfort, we saw Missy about three and a half hours into the trip and she was already fighting the seating arrangement. <laughs> so did that get any better? No. My backside still hurts. <laughs> yeah, man, you definitely get a sore butt sitting that long. So we, we drove into Wyoming, and the plan was the whole way, there was always one or two ways we could go. And you had to make the decision based off of time of day, how's the truck doing, is it going to be wildlife along this trail? Do we have to be on an interstate? Can we go down a two-lane road? You know, we're just constantly changing and moving. Because the last time I talked to Ron before we left was, I'm not going to see you, Ron, because we're going to go through, I think we talked about going through River, what's it called, River? Riverton, Lander, Riverton, and then up through yeah, Grand Teton Park. Which would have taken us way out of way from seeing Ron. But then once we finally got on the road, I'm like, 
let's go see Ron. So we ended up driving right through Douglas, which put us on the interstate the whole way up to Douglas and eventually put us on, I guess, where did we turn? We turned in Casper, right, Ron? Casper, you get off the interstate, yep. So we got it to Douglas and had lunch with Ron and Christy, and that kind of started the trip. And then from there, we made it all the way up to Yellowstone, didn't we, that first night? You guys no. went into Yellowstone that night? No, or just... we stayed in Cody. Yeah, we stayed in Cody. So it was a long day. That first day was like 511 miles or something like that. Okay, so first day challenge. Did you guys find one square inch of that highway where you could not see a pronghorn antelope between Casper and Shoshone? Seriously, we saw antelope everywhere. Babies, lots of babies. Babies. In every field you looked in, there were babies just standing they were, they were and everywhere. wobbling around. And For you staunch purists, we're talking about pronghorn. Sorry. I called them antelope. Somebody's going to call us out on that. That's just the Wyoming terminology. Yeah, don't some of people call them speed goats? Speed goats, yep. No, it was pretty cool. It was, uh, And it was a relief, too, because once we turned off the road in Casper, that's when we got on a two-lane road. And it was just so beautiful. We went through Thermopolis, which is, I think, where you grew up, Ron, right? Yep. Really pretty. We were driving in the evening, you know, late, low sun. It was awesome. And then by the time we got up into Cody, the sky was just about to get dark. And we ended up finding a cool place in Cody, and that was awesome. And we spent the night there and then woke up the next morning knowing, what is it, Ron, you know, from Cody to the park entrance of Yellowstone, it's probably, what, 20, about 55 50 miles. miles? But it's beautiful. It's a really pretty little drive up through little communities and just kind of like another two-lane road. But as soon as we got into the park, we saw a grizzly bear. Okay, day two challenge. Did you find my landmark? Yes. <laughs> Ron, so on our way up there, we're going to do another podcast because Ron was in Yellowstone the week before, I think. And he had taken copious notes that he sent us along the way. He's like, so look for this here and this here. And he had... Notes for just Missy and notes for both of us. And so it was kind of funny. Well, okay. So we were supposed to look for some obscene looking rock, which just happened to pop right out at you if you happen to look that way. I was like, oh, that's what Ron was talking about. <laughs> There's no mistake in it. No, it wasn't. Okay, so we got to keep it family it. friendly. Let's move that into the it. grizzly bear. Yeah, so... Uh, I don't remember the name of that pass. You probably know what it's called, Ron. What is it? Sylvan. Sylvan Pass. It's really pretty. We had the GoPros going. We're driving up this, this. You drive through the entrance into Yellowstone, and then it's this pass immediately, right, Ron? Yep. And it seems like so long ago. It was only like 10 days ago, but it seems like forever ago. But we had the GoPros going. We were filming stuff, and you, there's a really pretty pass, and there's still a lot of snow up there, so we were showing a lot of snow-capped mountains, and... As soon as we topped over the top of that pass and headed down, there was one bear. And we spotted it just because there was other people shooting there. You know, it wasn't something that we saw. But we stayed there for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then we just headed on down into the park. Now, what I wanted to talk about with Yellowstone is I have this huge bad taste for Yellowstone. Just because it's always so crowded and there's so many people. And you forget about how pretty it is and how awesome that park is. When we got there, 
it wasn't that crowded. We were there at a pretty good time. And because of the time of day or just this time of the season? I think it was time of week. Okay. Because we were there in the middle of the week. Time of day two. We basically went from there to Gardner and got a hotel. And then from there, we went back into the park to check it out. Because this is Missy's first time into Yellowstone. So we want, wanted to spend at least a day in Yellowstone. You were kind of Thanks. trying to time it out so you're in the middle of the week and not fighting that. Plus, it was post-holiday weekend. So the traffic was a little bit more limited. And if, if I would have had my preference, I probably would have been around the same time. But I had, to, I had to go during the holiday weekend. And we'll get into that later. But it was a circus. So I'm glad to hear that you guys got it was a little bit quieter then. Well, and to back up a little bit, too. Everybody did tell us it was going to be very busy and we didn't know where we were going to be able to be each day because we didn't know at that point how many miles we were going to be able to go on how fast the truck was going to go. So we didn't book anything ahead of time. We basically just looked for something once we got there and we lucked out. Um, we stayed at a great place in Cody and then in Gardner. Also, we lucked out there didn't have any reservations we just looked once we got there so good spending the night in gardner was pretty awesome and the thing about yellowstone right now and the thing about colorado and yellowstone montana wyoming colorado there was a lot of moisture this winter so everything was just green it was so beautiful driving through there and just the the high mountain meadows were all green and even those sagebrush valleys that tend to dry up in the summer they were just lush and green, and it was just, it was, you know, it just re, revitalized my interest in Yellowstone right away. And then you start seeing the wildlife, and that is the cool part. You know, we only, again, it's, since it's Missy's first time, it's like, let's just see as much as we can. And you know how we always talk. You need 10 days in a location. This was the perfect first day. If you were going to spend 10 days there, this was the perfect first day just because we saw so much. We're like, here's a great place for bison. Here's a great place for pronghorn. Here's a great place for elk. Here's some bears here. We saw a bighorn sheep here. We saw moose here. That f We just saw everything, and it's like, okay, now that's a great day to find stuff. If we were going to stay there two, three, four, five, ten days, you would know where to go to, to get some quality photography done. It was, it was awesome. But we just knew that we only had one day there, so we just spent our time checking stuff out missy got to see i don't know ron to me it seems like there's more bison than ever is that true or is that is it pretty normal actually bison numbers are down there's a lot of things that have been happening to decrease the bison numbers so the lamar valley when i was there 20 years ago it would be just tons of elk or maybe more than 20 years ago i guess i'm dating myself i don't even know the elk population was kind of put into check due to bad winters and a lot of the wolves right so the what used to be covered with elk is now covered with bison there's just it, to me it just seemed like tons of bison out there and there were so many there were based bison calves everywhere you went we saw elk calves we saw just about every baby you could see moose babies moose calves. big or sheep babies yeah. antelope pronghorn babies we saw a couple wolves just close. in one day we saw everything not close a muskrat a little dude <laughs> hanging out with the wolves what's that the muskrat hanging out with the wolves 
Mm, they were in no. I know the answer to that. The wolves, if anybody's been to Yellowstone, you know they always have the wolf watchers, right? They have all these people that just sit up on top of these hills with spot and scope. So anytime you pretty much see a spot and scope on the top of a little knoll, that person is probably just scanning a valley, whether it's the Hayden Valley, the Lamar Valley, whatever, and they're watching these wolves. Whether they're actually seeing them or not, you don't know. They're just out there observing, and they're part of that whole process of studying those wolves in that park. So anytime I saw that, we did put the the skids on and we'd stop and look around a little bit. And then you'll see other people pulling out spot and scopes visitors. And if that's the case, you can pretty much guarantee there's a wolf somewhere that somebody can see. So we stopped at one point and looked out and sure enough, there were two wolves just, it's pretty amazing. There's just a big humongous field of bison and there's two wolves laying right in the middle of it. And the bison are just feeding around them. Pretty interesting dynamics. I mean, you wouldn't think everything we're led to believe is like wolves are savages and they're just getting, there's no way that interaction is going to go on. But, and I don't know the age of these wolves or how big they were or whatever, but it was a pretty interesting just to watch. They're just sucked out in the field, just laying, you know, sprawled out and the bison are just feeding right next to them and moving on. Did you guys see any coyotes or fox? We saw a lot of foxes, but... Did we see foxes in Yellowstone? I don't remember exactly. Yes. So we didn't see any coyotes that I can remember. That's my first trip to the park ever for any amount of time and not seeing coyote or fox. So I was just curious if you guys happened to run into any. We only saw one fox. In Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. In Yellowstone. So anyway, it turned out to be, be a really awesome trip. And like I say, I have a renewed desire to go back. You know, I, I'm just a fan of photographing without crowds of people. but, And that's my impression. When you go to Yellowstone, you just know you're going to be lots of people. But when we were there, it wasn't that bad. And we saw tons of wildlife. So like I said, perfect exploratory day to figure out if you're going to be able to work different kinds of animals. If you were going to be there for 10 days, it was awesome. But we had our first little bit of drama there, which was we had a light come on on the truck and I'm like, Oh, great. But I'm still kind of cool with it because we're, we're still close enough where I can turn around and go back home to Denver. Right. I'm like, ah, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but if we had to, in fact, I, I, in my mind, this whole trip, I'm setting these limits. I'm like, okay, I could still get back. I could still call one of my buddies and they'd come get me. I could still, you know, even when we passed the Canadian border, I'm like, ah, I could still get back to Colorado if I had to. But what had happened is the charge light came on and so did the brake light. So to me, I'm thinking, oh, it's uh, an electrical short somewhere. Because why would a brake light come on with the charge light? That just doesn't make sense. The thing is, is this truck is old enough where that does indicate an issue. So I thank God for YouTube, right? I'm just on YouTube. Whenever I had could get an internet connection, I jump on YouTube and you type in 1987 Toyota 4Runner, charge light on, brake light on, and everybody's like, oh, it's your alternator. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. So I call up my the Toyota mechanic that I use in Denver, and he's like, yeah, I, the minute I said it, the minute I was like, the charge light and the brake light, he's like, it's your alternator. And I'm like, well, how long do I have? He's like, I don't know. You, who, how am I supposed to know? I said, can I make it 200 miles or should I change it right now? And he's like, I would change it as soon as you can change it. So we left that park at a gardener that morning and went to Livingston. 
and I ended up changing an alternator in the parking lot in Livingston. Livingston. But what that did is it lowered my confidence in this vehicle, right? Because it's like, okay, we've got 3,000 miles to go, and now I'm already having an issue. And I'm still close enough to Colorado that I can limp my way back home to Denver, and we're going to be okay. But I get there, we get it changed, you know, just stop at any roadside uh, auto parts store, and they had a... They didn't have a good one. They just had the cheap variety. And I'm like, okay, well, that's all I got. I even called the Toyota dealership in Bozeman. I called the Toyota dealership in, or the Toyota dealership in Bozeman called all the other local Toyota dealerships to see if I could get a Toyota replacement just because I was thinking I probably want something that's fairly reliable, right? That'll get me to the next, or that'll last and it'll get us all the way to Alaska, but you couldn't find it. So we just put in whatever we could and you know, you're kind of dreading it because I'm sitting in a parking lot in Livingston, Montana, and I'm thinking, man, I got to change this alternate. And again, thank goodness for YouTube. I pull up a video and I watch this kid change his alternator in a 1987 Toyota 4Runner. And uh, it took us probably three hours because I was taking it slow and I'm trying to make sure I'm doing things right. I'm, I'm, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not not mechanical. I can do that stuff and I'm not afraid to do it, but I don't do it all the time, right? So it's not like it's something that's just, oh, let's just hop in and throw out the wrenches. And So I'm just taking little bitty parts off and trying to get it out. And what's, you know, just getting it out. Once you get it loose, that's fine. But then just working, it's like a puzzle trying to pull it out of the truck. And finally, I got a I had to take off the air cleaner. I had to take off all these other parts. And then now I'm really worried about all these parts that I got laying there that I got to put all this stuff back together the way I took it apart so that to make sure that we're going to make it another 3,000 miles. So anyway, long story short, we got it going. And then out of Livingston, we had to drive on the interstate again at 80 miles an hour. And um, we ended up going up through Livingston to Bozeman and then Bozeman kind of a little bit further west and then we turned and went north and by that time we were back on a two-lane road and then we got up you guys have ever heard of flathead lake in montana mm -hmm. i didn't ever i've heard of it but i really didn't place where you know i hadn't looked at a map to see which way we were going and we ended up going right by flathead lake which was awesome it's the largest freshwater lake west of the rockies in the u.s so it was pretty awesome pretty awesome site and the weather was beautiful there now going all the way through montana we dealt with smoke it was so you couldn't see a mile you couldn't see the mountains that surrounded kalispell and and by that time all this the fires in alberta all the smoke had filtered down and basically covered the state of montana when we were driving down the road you could smell wood smoke it was amazing. For that far away, it, the smell it is amazing. Did it did it obstruct your vision? Like, could you lim limit how far you could see? Was it that dense, or you yeah. just noticed it was a haze? About oh, really? a mile is all we could see. It was oh, wow. amazing. And then we got up out of um, there's a okay. town with a college in Montana, Helena. We drove through Helena, and then the way out of Helena, you go up and over this pass, and we ran into a big thunderstorm there. And that helped a lot with the smoke in that area. It just kind of dissipated the smoke. And then we drove back down into the valley out of there and then back into the smoke. And we got all the way up to Kalispell. And by the time we got to Kalispell the next morning, the wind had kind of pushed most of that smoke out. So from Kalispell all the way up past the Canadian border on up into Radium Hot Springs. 
and that's when we crossed over into the northern rockies okay um yeah that that smoke was going all over the place and it was just at the discretion of the, the wind direction it seemed for that crazy big fire so i know there are other people in other areas of canada and the u.s that were affected by it but yeah it's something to experience it that way and have to drive through it what i was wondering for for the benefit of our audience and then even for me i'm very interested do you think it'd be possible to do a graphic of, on a map just to of a to show your route that we yeah. could put on the show notes because it'd be cool to see where you went and then we could you know mentally tie that in after listening to the podcast and looking at the show notes we can see that you know to complement the pictures and it was cool i mean the alternator thing I'm, you put that story missy on instagram and it was you know something you're going to deal with you'd be luck lucky to make it that far that big a trip and not have a 1987 forerunner have at least one issue, but I get the worry of it because once something happens, what's next, right? You just lose all your confidence. It's like, yeah. ah, you know, I did so much of this truck because I wanted it to be fairly reliable, and and it was, but it now I'm like, well, we don't want to spend too much time in any one place because I just want to get there now. I just want to go. I didn't want to turn around. I didn't want to have to call home and say, hey, come pick me up. So. It was um, it was pretty interesting. I want to hear if you got any good pictures in Yellowstone. We didn't stop and do as much as I wanted to do for shooting in Yellowstone. I mean, we saw stuff. Missy got some awesome... Missy got all the pictures. She was able to get the moose and moose calf. She got a couple of really good bear shots. She got... Some bison. Oh, you got that pronghorn that was... Oh, yeah, Missy really wanted to shoot a pronghorn, so we kept driving through hundreds of pronghorn and she's like stop stop and I'm like no we got to get there and finally we found one that I knew we would find one that was close and workable and you know and especially if you get them in Yellowstone I didn't know for a fact but I was assuming in Yellowstone they would be much more accustomed to people than if we stopped in you know middle of nowhere Wyoming and I didn't think they would sit next to the road I don't Ron you probably know that yeah sometimes they sometimes they will but they're they're pretty unpredictable in the park they're they're a little bit easier to work with they're just smaller. Yeah. So anyhow, we, we photographed quite a bit of stuff and we shot, you know, we went to the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone just so that she could experience it. So Missy, your first time, your one day in Yellowstone, seeing so many animals out of 10, what do you give your first experience in Yellowstone National Park? Eight. Nice. <laughs> Why? Well, I didn't see everything I wanted to see. I honestly thought there was going to be a lot more animals. I saw a lot of bison more than anything and pronghorn. Well, it was one day and you saw wolves. Yeah. You saw vistas and rock formations. Four black bears. Two, Four black two or bears. three grizzly bears. A moose and, and a moose calf. calf. Elk, elk calves. A muskrat. A muskrat. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> If I had to give it, it would be a 10 out of a 10 for a day in Yellowstone for me. I don't know. Maybe she just, maybe we, you know, everybody talks it up so much and you see all these grandiose pictures from Yellowstone, but that generally happens over a 10 day span. When somebody's filming in True. Yellowstone, you get that one or two or three epic images over the course of 10 days. You don't get them all in one day. So like I said, I think it was the perfect exploratory day to figure out what's there. And the other thing is Yellowstone's huge, 2 million acres, right? We probably saw a quarter of that because we went through the Hayden Valley. 
and saw a lot of bison, but I was kind of beelining it at that point to get to Gardner because I knew my favorite place in the park is, is Lamar Valley, but that's just because of the old days and what I used to go there, and that's where I spent all the time, and that's what I'm most familiar with. I know there's a bunch of other cool locations, and Ron would be better to speak to all those just because you, you live there and probably photographed there way more than any, any of us. Yeah, and I would say I would have I given it a 9 out of 10 just based on the fact that you guys said it wasn't crowded. <laughs> yeah, I probably wasn't very get an extra, fair. Get an extra point five if you see a muskrat. No, I think I, I was expecting to see a lot more grizzly bears, I guess. I don't know. And I think again, if you'd have right? gone, if you go earlier, you would. I, I think you've been to different places that have got you a little bit spoiled. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Probably. It was awesome. I want to go later. back where I can spend more time. I didn't want to leave. Yeah, we didn't yeah. want to leave. That summarizes it well. Yeah, okay. But that's where, that's where we had the first issue with the truck. So that's where those lights were coming on, and we're thinking, ah. Yeah, we got to go get this fixed. When I called that Toyota mechanic and he's like, yeah, I would fix it sooner than later. So I'm thinking, okay, well, we got to go. See, and maybe that's where it took some of it away from me because I felt that we were a little rushed because we were nervous making sure everything was okay with the truck. Sure. I get that. But it was, it's such an incredibly long trip with so much ahead of you. I mean, to get the, of course, it's going to be disappointing to leave Yellowstone after such an incredible day. But knowing what you have ahead and knowing that you enjoyed it so much, it's a place to go back to with some likely smart planning as far as timing, right, Ron, for, to try and minimize the overlap with big crowds. But, you know, what's coming up after Yellowstone and heading north, I mean, to me, I mean, that's all very appealing country for landscape and wilderness photography. But I'm I'm just chomping at the bit, to, and I, we can't get there just yet. But I want to hear about the north, I, about the north. But because of the border, you're talking about getting up there. So we got out of Yellowstone because you had to get the truck fixed, and you wanted to be confident in that. And I get that. I used to have an old Dodge Ram years and years and years, decades ago. I carried an extra alternator. That one was so bad on wrecking alternators. So thankfully, that truck was so big you could have four people climb in the engine compartment and work on it there's so much space around everything there was no issue pulling the alternators right in the top right there loosen the belt loosen the nuts off it comes get the spare out of the back and put it in that thing was crazy for alternators what so, was interesting about this alternator was it was a it was so hard to get it out and once i got it out i'm like oh man how am i going to get this new one in because it's got to be just as hard going in as it is coming out but you know what i got it in really quick and then my mind is just going to all these parts. I had to pull off the air cleaner. I had to loosen a couple of hose clamps. I'm like, am I going to remember all this? Normally I'll take pictures and I'll shoot a video so that I can see what I'm doing and I'll just do it all in reverse to put it all together. But I was, didn't think about that because we're in a parking lot. So I get it all back together. And then of course we had to take off skid plates to get to it. I get it all back put together and we're all happy we're you know turned it on and no lights and we're like high-fiving and we drive around and just as we're leaving town we pass this little roadside hamburger stand and it looked there was a huge line so i was like this has got to be really good hamburger so i said let's just pop in here and we'll get a burger and then we'll get on the road so i was calling my buddy up bob who 
is my technical support when I'm on the road with mechanical issues because he's very mechanically inclined and I'm going through the whole thing and I'm high-fiving myself still because I'm happy that I got it all fixed and something just jogged my memory and I'm like, uh-oh, I forgot to tighten it down. So when you put an alternator in, you got to put it in and then you tension the belt and you tighten that. So I had the tensioner tightened, but in my excitement, I forgot to tighten the actual bolt that holds the alternator in. It had the bolt in there and I had it snug down, but I didn't have it tight. And I remembered right when I'm on the phone, I'm like, uh-oh, I don't think I tightened that down. So we got our burgers. I drove back to the parking lot at the auto parts store, pulled the, the skid, plate. skid plates off again, got under there, tightened it up, put everything back together, and then we finally got on the road headed towards... We really didn't know how far we were going to make it because, you know, we lost four hours with that little shenanigan. And our plan was to be, originally our plan was to go see our buddy Joey Oliveri up in Canada. He's just across the border. I can't think where he lives. Crow's Nest Pass, I think, is the name of the town. So we were going to actually, he had texted us along the way because he saw our stories on, on Instagram. He's like, you guys should stay with us, with me tonight. He's like, it's free. And, and we were like, cool, we'll do that. But then this whole alternator thing happened. And, and then I start looking at the map. So earlier I referenced the fact that it's changing the whole way. You know, we weren't going to see Ron. And then all of a sudden we saw Ron. That whole plan changed. And every day our plan is just constantly changing because you pull it up, you look at the map. I'm running a phone, Missy's running her phone, and I'd have, and then I have another phone that was our GPS. So we'd have the route that we thought we were gonna take on that GPS, but then I'd be like, oh, let's try this. And I'd tell Missy, can you see how far it is to Kalispell? And then we gotta go through the Roosevelt border crossing, but how is that Roosevelt border crossing? Is it just like a one laner, and is there gonna be like a four hour wait, or is it, can we it's just- a gate. The gate with the zip tie on it. That's all it was. <laughs> we were the only person in the road. And the guy asked us, he's just like, kidding, what are you guys doing here? We're here. What do we say? We're driving to Alaska. And he's like, have a nice trip. <laughs> right. He said, do you have There's... any firearms or what? Drugs. Do you, have, do you have any drugs or firearms? And we're like, nope. He's like, see ya. So it was pretty uneventful. Right. And at that point, we sure. were still dealing with pretty warm temperatures and, um, a little bit of the smoke had pretty much moved out, but there was still a little. And we drove up to Radium Hot Springs. I have a question. Sorry about the route selection. Since it's been such a late spring in some areas, some of the high country is still closed. Did you go through that border crossing because in Glacier it, the road wasn't open yet, or or was it simply because of the maintenance on the truck that you decided to go further west? It was time, and then we also knew that we were gonna. It was gonna take another two hours to get over to where Joey was at, additional to what we were going that way, because we could have still went through another border crossing, just not through Glacier. We could have went through some place further to the east. Okay. So it was a time thing. And then that also put us back on the interstate, and I wanted to stay off the interstate. So by the time we got just west of Bozeman and we started headed up towards Helena, we're back on two-lane roads where the speed limit is manageable for that truck, 65 or whatever. So we were tooling along and stayed on two-lane roads there. It was pretty awesome. From that point all the way to Alaska, we were pretty much on two-lane roads. Did you see uh, much for wildlife through northern Montana? No, we didn't. 
We didn't okay. see much at all. It's beautiful. I mean, that whole state is really pretty and it's super lush and super green, but it was hindered by the smoke. By the time we got to Kalispell, like I said, it was pretty dark. We ended up staying at a buddy of mine's house. Another buddy found us on Instagram or Facebook, saw that we changed the alternator. He's like, hey, I live at the south end of Flathead Lake. You could come stay with me for the night. So we asked, that's what we did. Nice. We went and stayed at his place. Uh, Clark Dunbar, he runs a video stock agency. And he used to live in Evergreen, Colorado. I didn't know he moved. So he's just texting us and calling us. And we're like, perfect. So we ended up staying at his house for the night. Got up early in the next day. And that's when we headed up into Canada. So we drove from there to... So we went basically from... Kalispell to Hinton, in Hold Alberta. On. Hold on, that's 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 a that's a big fast forward on the that's VCR. That's a chunk. We now we did right. we went through Radium Hot Springs. Well, you you cross into British Columbia, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You go through Radium and Kootenay. Did you not see stuff through there? Yes, we did. Now, we saw. I know, I know that area has changed. I mean, it's not really a destination because it's it's difficult to access now. The park, but park system there has closed there we saw a, a grizzly sow and cub right, right you in just can't Kootenai. stop so but there's no point stop. it's not it's not a destination right yeah okay and then they put up some fences some wildlife corridor fences all through kootenai that weren't okay. there just a couple of years ago when we were there and it's good for the animals it's good for the wildlife right because they're just trying to prevent that interaction with the road and it mm-hmm. only went for I should say only it probably went for 15 miles but mm-hmm. then both ends are open so I guess they just forced the wildlife under bridges or underground not bridges but well, uh, well it, I don't know what they've done there but they're the overpasses yeah the overpasses and, are down on the main road but here we didn't right. pass any overpasses but it was such a long so they put stretch big culverts in maybe that's what I was I wondering know. I didn't see any but I wasn't paying attention either because it was all new to me I was like I was expecting you know, we had actually had luck with wolves in Kootenai before. We've had luck with black bears in Kootenai before. Right. And we didn't see any of that. Just the sow and cub, and that was it. Those those uh, bridges and underpasses through the Banff National Park have, it's amazing. I, I wasn't necessarily ready for this subject to come up. I The statistics behind how many animals use those and how the collisions have dropped over the decades since that structure was set up in the fencing along the road. It's huge, the number of animals. It is huge. I have a bunch of friends that work for the Division of Wildlife in Colorado, and I'm always sending them pictures. I'm like, but you know, the whole thing is, is it's got to cost millions, millions of dollars to build those things. But the what it does for the wildlife and the mitigation is awesome. I just love the fact that you can, you know, it hinders wildlife viewing opportunities, but it also makes it safer for the wildlife. So it's pretty cool to have. Well, they're big. They're big travel corridors for vehicles, so the vehicle volume, especially at night, is an issue for collisions. They've started putting, you know, Wyoming's got the mule deer migration, the longest migration in the lower 48, Mm -hmm. and they've started to put, they're putting underpasses, they're not putting the big overpasses like you see in uh, Alberta, but they've done underpasses on the migration route, and it's it's reduced um, collisions with vehicles quite a bit. And, and wildlife mortality. So I know, it, you know, it's worth it. I think the underpasses are a little bit cheaper, but they just don't allow, you know, it's not nearly as wide as what you see when you go through Alberta. 
I would love to see some of the trail cam stuff just to see what uses. Absolutely. Because I would think those overpasses are much more, uh, they're just more inviting than some underpass. So in a while, an animal that comes right. to an underpass, although I would think like a, a fox or a coyote or a wolf or a bear or a mountain lion would be like, you know, yeah, they're just going to walk through it. But would a deer be feel safe walking through an enclosed tunnel kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's a lot more hesitant because because wolves and coyotes and mountain lions are ambush. Smart. They're, they're not hesitant to use it, and they're ambush predators. Yeah, smart. Yeah. So, so where did you look up, Mark? Well, it's something that I researched when I did my moose book because of the issues of moose collisions across North America. So. Overpasses and underpasses at regular intervals help wildlife safely traverse our roadways. By 2014, according to Parks Canada, Banff National Park had completed construction of 38 wildlife underpasses, so giant culverts, and six overpasses. Now, the overpasses are each 55 yards or 50 meters wide, so quite wide, so the animals will hopefully feel comfortable crossing. Their trail monitoring devices indicate that animals use the available crossings more than 150,000 times from 1996 through 2012. Parks Canada reports that the specialized fencing has reduced animal vehicle collisions by more than 80%. For the larger ungulates, it's down more than 96%. So it's something that just has to be done to mitigate that risk of collision where there's such a high traffic volume and those roads are so well constructed that it's smooth sailing. You know, they do monitor them very well as far as enforcement for speed. Trust me on that one. <laughs> and <laughs> you've done some personal research in that area. I, I did a personal experiment and, and <laughs> yeah, and, and, and proved that it's effective at, at slowing down, uh, people going through there that aren't used to driving through there. Anyway, there's a high, high volume of traffic. And uh, there are still incidents that happen. There was one a week ago, unfortunately, a grizzly bear was hit uh, in Banff on the highway at night and nobody was at fault. It wasn't anything reckless, but the, the, these corridors over and under these busy highways are helpful. It's not ideal, but people have to navigate through these Rocky Mountain systems, right? There's gonna be a road somewhere, you know, it's too bad we can't do that with the train system there, but that's a whole other subject. But so, yeah, with with that, so you just have to navigate through. But you decided to spend a couple of days in the Rockies and had some fun. Yeah, we met up with some of our our partners up there. You know, so we've had Eric Brewer on the podcast before and we saw Eric and his wife, Debbie, up there. And then we saw a couple of the photographers. We saw Harlan Cooper and um, Jason. Jason Loftus. And we actually wrangled them into a podcast, so that was kind of fun. It was fun to talk about. You know, they have a pretty famous shot. And this that podcast is actually going to air before this podcast, so anybody that's listening will have heard that story. But I wanted to get into the whole technical aspects of how they prepared for that shot because it's not something you're going to get spur of the moment. You kind of have to plan for it. And So go back and listen to that podcast. But that was a fun conversation. And we were able to see... What, how many bears in that area? We saw lots of black bears and quite a few Yeah, I'm going to say we saw just under maybe 10 grizz and about 15 black bear. 
and you posted a story in the video shooting, uh, filming with the red on a mating pair of grizzlies. That was pretty cool. Yep. That was the only place where I actually pulled out the red, but I felt like we had, I knew we weren't traveling that day. So I felt comfortable to pull everything out and just start filming. And it was great. Got some awesome stuff, but it was um, limited to just that time. So when we were there, we ran into our second truck issue. In so, the Rockies. All right. Yeah. So we would we have a routine up there because we photograph there quite a bit. So you, you get up early and you know you're going to head to this spot or this spot. And we always just kind of putz around a little bit and started putzing down the road. And I'm not in a hurry. I'm just cruising along and I put the car in like third gear and I'm just putzing, right? Well, all of a sudden, the check engine light comes on this time. Woohoo! But it comes on for like a second, one second, and then it goes off. So that means it's okay. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. But then it's like, oh, no, now we put another little confidence destroyer in the, in the mix here, and I'm thinking, ugh. But it didn't come on the rest of the day, so I thought, well, maybe the engine is just cold, or when I was putzing along, I, there was too much... The oxygen sensor gave a little false reading or something just because high altitude i don't know what it was you know so it didn't worry about it it made it through that whole day photographed uh pulled the red out did all that stuff and then the next day same spot same spot the light comes on again and i'm like oh, man what's going on now so what do i do i pull up hang youtube on. hang on before you get to the solution where was, when you set up your point of no return, where was that in the journey? It kept moving. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, yeah, this whole story goes into, so our buddies Eric and Debbie Brewer, we're talking, well, they're there, they're up in that area, so we talked with them, and Eric's like, you got to take the Cassiar. The Cassiar Highway is beautiful. But now I've got this second confidence destroyer light coming on that's just like needles, right? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. He told me, Eric said, what did he say? He said, you're not going to have cell phone coverage. And as it, much. it's a long distance between towns. And all I can envision is we're stuck out in the middle. We had an inReach with us, so we were going to be able to text. So I was like, well, we still... You know, it wasn't going to kill us if we had to spend the night on the road. I wasn't that worried about that. We were prepared for that. I was just not prepared for making turning this into a three-week journey because I'm constantly dealing with truck problems. Wouldn't any route up through the Yukon have that kind of remoteness? It does. And we found that out. We found yes. that out. But everybody okay. told us. So Joey told us, our buddy Joey, mm -hmm. he's like, no, go the other way. Take the Alcan. He said, you'll see more bears, you'll see more wildlife. It's not as pretty, but there's more cell phone coverage. But we don't know if it was our phone service or what, but we didn't have phone service almost the whole way. You would get into a town and we would get it, but you don't get it in the middle anywhere. Well, if you're so. in the right spot in the town, we would get it. Right. <laughs> so... To finish the story about this light, I jump on YouTube, and then I put in check engine light, 1987 Toyota 4Runner, and then there's this perfect little video that comes up, and this guy's like, okay, here's what you got to do. 
And this dude's in California and he's having to pass all the smog emissions. So he's dealing with all these sensors. So come to find out there's a ton of little sensors on that truck. And I'm like, oh, great. So my mind is like, okay, I got to get to an auto parts store and I'm going to buy one of every sensor. Well, nobody has sensors for a vehicle that's 30 years old. So I didn't get any sensors. But there, he's like, on the video, he's like, you got to pull open the little diagnostics. There's a little diagnostics port on that motor. So come to find out, all the new vehicles, like you take a new new Forerunner out there, you can plug a little Bluetooth device into that while you're driving, and it'll send diagnostics right to an iPad while you're real-time diagnostics. So if you have any fault code come up, you're going to see it immediately, and it's going to identify exactly what's going on. This truck is old enough where they were probably just starting to get into that. So at least it had a port where I could look. But here's the funny thing. The guy's like, you got to go find a paperclip. And then you got to run a jumper from this thing to this thing. And then you got to get in the truck and you don't turn it on. You just turn on the ignition. And then you got to count the number of times that the light blinked. I'm like, oh, God. You know, and if it was five blinks, it meant this. If it was six blinks, it meant this. And if it was seven blinks, it meant this. And then it... If it was seven blinks, there was three possible things it could be. And one of them was like disastrous. One of them is like if your ECU or ECM is bad, you're hosed. And I wasn't going to get a new one of those anytime fast. I was going to have to order something and have it shipped in. So if we were going to take the route that Eric and Debbie said, going through Prince George and taking the Cassiar, there is a Toyota dealership in Prince George. So we were like, that'd be cool. And we'll just stay five days longer filming in that area. We'll order the part, and then hopefully they could get it to that remote Toyota dealership within five days. So that next morning, get up. It got to be too dark, so I couldn't do that test, or I wasn't confident to do it in the dark. So I got a, a paper clip, got all the stuff, put it in there, turned it on. No blinks. Everything's fine, it says. So then what do you do? Right. So then my confidence is kind of shot. And then I'm thinking, what do we do? We go, of course. <laughs> yes. Onward. <laughs> Northbound. We did. So we drove to Hinton. Yeah, we decided not to take the Cassiar at yeah. that point because it did show that nothing was wrong. But you headed east into the fires. We thought we might hit them, but we didn't. Thankfully. Yeah, I think we must have stayed far enough south out of those. And you're kind of heading northwest, uh, northwesterly through Alberta. Um, but right as soon as we got on the Alcam, we saw two bears. So we're thinking, cool, this is the right move. Because Joey had said, you're going to see tons of bears on that route. And five miles down the road, there's a mama, a sow, and a cub. And we film them going down the road. You know, she just pulls out the Osmo pocket, and we're filming them whizzing by. And I'm thinking, oh, we're just going to see a ton of bears, so we won't stop and mess around with these. We'll just keep going. Come to find out we didn't see that many more bears on the rest of that day. I don't, I don't want to be that guy, but sometimes I have to be. And I don't know if I should throw this out there, but someday I want to do the Cassiar because I, this is just for our audience to know, nobody else. But I I've, I've know of people that up in that area have had spirit bears come out along the road. Oh, really? There's a chance, yeah. And I don't know exactly where. I would have to research that on the interweb. But, yeah, that's the direction to go. You don't necessarily have to be 
on the water. I mean, that's definitely the better route for spirit bears for consistency, but it can happen up that way mm. with some research. But I would do it. I would do that. Now, we are going to do this trip again because this was a bucket list. And but it was kind of like what we talked about Yellowstone. It became an exploratory trip at this point because we're just exploring now. Oh, we're absolutely. Not, we're yeah. not spending enough time in any one place. And now with all these little hiccups happening to the truck, I'm like, ah, I don't feel confident spending too much time in any one place. Let's just keep making time and keep moving from that point forward. So we didn't really stop too much past Hinton. We just make it a, made it a point to get to every location. But our route kept cha changing as far as uh, to Hinton. And then from Hinton, once we were on the Alcan, you're on the Alcan. Right. Now, the one thing, bad thing about that part of the road, from Hinton to Grand Prairie and then Grand Prairie on up to like Watson Lake, mm -hmm. the heavy truck traffic, holy mm -hmm. moly. Logging trucks, gas and oil trucks, and just the workers that work out in those areas, the loggers, the oil and gas mm -hmm. people. There was, I couldn't believe the amount of traffic. And at that point, there's a little comfort factor there, right? Because you know these guys are all mechanic, pretty, probably pretty mechanically inclined, and they're probably nice Canadians, so we might find our way to get some help along the way if we did have a problem. But we saw tons of U-Hauls, but they were all coming this way. They were Other all coming way. towards yeah. the U.S. So I'm wondering if it was a lot of people leaving Alaska that were might be military, and they just got stationed to go somewhere else. I just don't know the frequency of that, but we saw probably five to 10 U-Hauls a day. Interesting. Yeah, it's wow. pretty amazing. So anyway, once we got to Watson Lake, now you're in the Yukon, right? And there was, traffic on the road was non-existent. You would drive for 20, 30, 40 minutes and not see another car. And then the car you did see was going the other way. Mm -hmm. Now, if we got stopped, like at road construction, and you were there for longer than 10 or 15 minutes, there would be two or three cars behind you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you guys will have to, I think we should put that video that I sent you guys, I think we should put that on YouTube because that gal was- Oh, at least parts of it. Can you do that with her? I, I was thinking I should have got a model release from her because she was just a ball of fire. I don't think she would care. She wouldn't care because we told her we were filming her, and then she just went off. There was another 15 minutes before what I started filming that she was, and that's why I was like, this is video gold right here. I whipped out the Osmo Act, the pocket, and I'm like, I'm going to film you. And she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, well, you guys heard it. It's just hilarious. There was construction <laughs> everywhere. I mean, you would see some of these construction people dancing or these flaggers, Talking. it's got to be really boring for these flaggers. Now, that one flagger, she said, yeah, yesterday there was a herd of caribou right here. All day, they were sitting right on the side of the road. We didn't see them. And she said the other flagger at the other end has a, had a lynx. She's been watching a lynx all day. And, of course, when we go by, there's nothing. But How quick can you get us to the other end? Right? <laughs> yeah, that was one of those deals where they just have these pilot cars and you just have to follow them. So, so anyhow, we... Uh, so moving from, we got to the Watson days are Lake. long now, right? Too. I mean, those yeah. long days. Yeah, length. we're talking 12-hour days. By the time you get not 12 hours of driving, but 12 hours from when we leave to when we find a hotel. But but what about being, daylight? Yeah, daylight. I mean, long. It, yeah. Like, what time was sunrise and sunset by the time you were up there in the Yukon? Yeah, it's like it is like it is here now. We mm -hmm. have... I think we have 19 hours of sunlight here in Anchorage right now. Right. So 
you know, those road construction workers and fires, I mean, that's a long time. You got to move around. You got to dance and tell yourself stories. <laughs> she, that, she said that too. She said that they work up, up to like 16 hour days. It's a short season, right? So yeah. Yeah. They're just going, but it was, wow. um, that was at around Fort Nelson. So I guess it was from Fort Nelson to Watson Lake. So we were still in Alberta at that point. So from Fort Nelson on up to Watson Lake, it was not a lot of traffic. But all the way up to Fort Nelson from Colorado, it was a lot of traffic. Okay. So from Watson Lake to Whitehorse, what was that stretch of road like? That is beautiful. It is. I want to. So this, this whole trip is just one of those things, like I said earlier, it's a more of an exploratory thing where you're like, we got to do this again. The ultimate vehicle would be like a sprinter van or a, some sort of camper van that was just, I don't think you'd want to pull a trailer because those roads, whew, they got these frost heaves in them and you'd watch these motorhomes with a pulling a car or a truck pulling a trailer and if they hit that, those, those things were coming off the ground. If you weren't watching, those suckers were catching air. And you do want to have a map or a book or something that's tells you ahead of time that you can look into to find hotels and stuff because phone service was very rare and of course we didn't book ahead of time so to try to find a place before we got there was impossible we literally had to wait till we got into the town and we lucked out every place there's a couple that were like we have one left and that's why I was saying you'd want, I want to do this again. And you want a vehicle that you can spend the night in and that way you just, cause there's tons of pullouts where you can just camp. And I think you'd want to drive that road from sunrise, which is probably 4am, 5am to like 10. And then you want to chill out somewhere and catch some sleep or take a nap and then start driving again about 5pm right. and go till 11 or 12, because that's the, you know, we passed a lot of bears on the road where we didn't even stop because the light is direct overhead. It's ugly. It's, you know, these bears. We saw five grizzly bears around Kluwani. Yeah. But it was just National really Park. harsh light. And it's, uh, you know, these were all blonde grizzly bears. And they just, you know, the light on them was just not, not. We shot them with video and stuff, but we didn't. That's a great learning experience. That's a good hack for listeners who are thinking of doing this trip this time of year with the days being so long. If you can drive those five or six hours in good light at either extreme. That's what I would and, do. And, and, you know, that's enough to exhaust your driving for the day. And that way you have the opportunity in good light to find stuff. That's. I think it right? would be the best thing because then if you did find something and you wanted to work it um, from anything from birds, we saw some awesome hawk. I think I saw a goshawk that was just unbelievably beautiful. Yeah, but it was, again, it was in the middle of the day and it was, it was hunting next to the road, but we didn't stop because it was just horrible light. But we ended up putting those midday hours in just because we wanted to get to the next place because we didn't have a place to stay lined up because we didn't know where we were going to end up. And you couldn't call ahead because we didn't have a cell phone coverage. So we're like, oh, we got to get there by at least seven. We made a seven our cutoff point because Hopefully all the travelers haven't made it there yet and you can find that one room that's still available somewhere. And we also had a little limitation on us because the truck is not that secure. It's got a soft top on it. So not that you run into that many people out there, but everywhere you go on the side of these roads, it says uh, rural crime, rural crime watchers, you know, call this number. And I'm like, why do you guys have to advertise crime out here? But 
you know, we weren't sure. I think you have to be smart about it. Yeah, it's so always, we always just... tried to find a cabin that we could park right next to. So we did have some limitations there. There's probably other hotel rooms that weren't quite as hard to get if you were willing to stay in a traditional three-story hotel and get on the third floor and not worry about your vehicle out in the parking lot. The one other interesting thing was the gas. We didn't pass a gas station that we didn't stop at. Interesting. <laughs> Every right. gas station we stopped and we topped it off. Whether it was just off the full mark or whether we were half a tank, I filled up. I didn't care what it cost because you're just like, I don't know where the next gas station is going to be. And we stopped at a variety. We stopped at one place that was a buck 80 a liter for just regular, regular gas. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the old style pump, you know, that had the, the rotating numbers in there where you hear it go. And, reset I miss those. and, and on, on the side, the little bubble with the balls spinning on the side, did they have that? Yeah. You could see the fuel going through the clear could, plastic. I mean, it was amazing what we saw. And this one, the on the sign, it says, uh, just fill up and let us know, how, you know, come in and pay for it and tell us how much you got. Nobody's out there checking. They're just like, ah, it's the honor system. You just fill up and you walk in and you say, oh, I got 17.5 liters. And they don't ever check. So aside from the price, it's like going back in time. Totally. The, pr mm -hmm. the price is going into the future. Totally. And we right. just, uh, there was one gas station we stopped at, which was literally a tank, an above the ground tank that must be connected to satellite phone. You put in your credit card and then you fill up and then it does the satellite phone and it won't release your card until it's charged your card. That's the honor system on their part coming your way because you don't right. you don't know what you're being charged. Exactly, you have no clue. <laughs> we saw them all, you know, from traditional modern gas stations to the most remote. Uh, and, you know, and then the one thing I'm always worried about in these remote ones is what's the quality of the fuel? Because you get a little water in your fuel and you could have all kinds of problems with that. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what are we gonna end up with? And then if your car requires high octane fuel, you're not gonna get that either. There is this one gas station that had restrooms. The doors on it were those old freezer doors. Well, this was a big semi old freezer trailer, right. and they turned it into oh, bathrooms. Oh, that's what it was. And they turned it into bathrooms. But I have to say, at first I was like, oh gosh, do I want to go in here? Because you know those old freezer doors, you could go in, but you couldn't get out. So I was afraid I was going to get locked in the bathroom. I even took pictures of the inside of the bathroom. Yeah, it's quite that's, the... That's, my son got the... stuck in one of those when he was young, and nobody knew where he was for 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad day. But I also have to say, I'm not sure I'd stay in a hotel that had that kind of door and look like it was a meat locker. <laughs> <laughs> this well, was that, just a gas station. That was just a gas station. Oh, okay. That, that's, I was going to say, that's how you win the hide-and-seek contest. Right. <laughs> it just, what made it kind of fun is there were those interesting places and things that people did. I thought Further it was north cool. north you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It would be great with the, with the trailer for the men's washroom. Had the door on one end, you walk through, open the door on the other, use the outdoors, and then walk back. <laughs> Hey, you do with what you have, right? It was awesome. Well, and we brought our own coffee, so we're drinking lots of coffee on the road, too. So we stopped a lot. We stopped a lot. You've got to enjoy the scenery. That's part of this trip. Yeah. 
Yeah. Rush it. So when we left Watson Lake, no, when we left Fort Nelson and then we got to Watson Lake, that was a banner wildlife day. We saw tons of stuff. We drove over Stone Mountain, which is where all the stone sheep are at. So if anybody's a big sheep nut, that's like a really specific species of a, one of the four species of, yeah, it's like uh, so, Nelsioni, I think is the sub huh. subspecies for Dolly Dolly. Well, we didn't see any big rams. We saw a couple of sheep, and that was at uh, Muncho Lake. Oh, wow, all right, okay. So, and I, I was told just yesterday that Muncho Lake is where there's stone sheep there, too. It's not just Stone Mountain, but you, as you get into Muncho Lake, there's also... So if that sheep that we saw there is a stone sheep, then I saw a stone sheep. I thought we made it through without seeing stone sheep, because this sheep looked more like a bighorn than it looked like a doll. So it is a subspecies of doll sheep. Stone sheep is Ovis dolly stoni. It's a more yeah. southern subspecies of thin-horned sheep, Ovis dolly, a sheep native to northwestern North America. Slate brown in color with some white patches on the rump and inside of the hind legs and having curved yellowish-brown horns. Yeah, they would be, color-wise, they would, they would look more like a bighorn. If you see the rams, you'd know because they're they're a thin horned sheep instead of the right, you know the heavy horn like the big horn of the desert rams. Yeah, and I didn't see. It was just a small little. Uh, uh, it was a ram, but we, it was a yeah. probably like a one or two year old ram. So was this the day that you texted Ron and I the list of sightings for that day? Yeah, I think Missy's gonna go through it here. Yeah, let's hear that. That day we saw. Four moose, which with those moose, one was a bull and one was a calf, like a newborn calf. Eight black bear caribou. One caribou. A ton of buffalo, like 31 buffalo or something like that. Sheep, a fox. I think that's about it. So are those wood bison up there then? Yep. Are they? And they're all along the highway. They're, they're everywhere. Just, you know, there's constantly, there's the signs that say watch for a buffalo because there's these monster bulls that are just laying right on the edge of the road. They mm. see so many cars, they're not, they're totally adjusted. But the roadside was just so lush and green that it's, it's like a grazing, you know, instead of having a great big park, they just have the side of the road. So, but yeah. we saw them in groups and then we'd just see singles for probably a hundred miles. Yeah. They were spread out. You'd want to be careful at night along there. I For sure. Guess. For oh, sure. Man. But that was a good day. We saw all kinds of stuff. And it was spread out. So it wasn't like it was all one spot. So it was constantly just wildlife viewing. And we, we filmed most of this. So we were able to see pretty cool things all along the way. And this is still, I think I know the answer to this, but you're still before Whitehorse. Yeah, we're still in BC. So, yeah. Oh, you're still in BC. Yeah, right, so okay. we're, we hadn't got to Watson Lake yet. So when you cross or, into Watson Lake, that's the first time you get into the Yukon. Right. Okay. But then that road, the Alcana Highway, just goes over that border like, I don't know, five or six times. Because our GPS, I was using an old traditional GPS too, and it would warn you every time you cross the border. In 10 miles, you're going to you know, continue on this road. And you know, we crossed the border just back. There was not a true... Welcome to the Yukon sign until we got into Watson Lake, which is, well, you know, you're starting to get into just the Yukon. 
But the Yukon seemed dry to me. It you drive through BC and it was very lush and green on the roads, but once you got up into the Yukon, the sides of the roads were just it, the grass was already dry and brown. So I don't know, it might be because the fires in Alberta and just not having enough moisture move through that area. I asked one of my buddies who's done this road a couple of times if it's always that way, if it's that's just the climate right there, or if it just seems abnormally dry. And he just wasn't sure either. I've heard more and more people talking about the north drying up and not getting the precipitation, but I haven't, I don't have any statistics to research that. But And I think seeing the Yukon, the way we saw it was cool. It wasn't like awe-inspiring cool i mean it was awesome to see and there was a lot of country and it's just a you know you drive through so many miles of just nothing no open open space it's just cool you know you just know this is you're out in the middle of nowhere that was neat about it for us but i wasn't expecting whitehorse to be quite like whitehorse is whitehorse is a big city it is fairly large i wasn't expecting having what there was a toyota dealership there there was a dodge dealership there there was all kinds of stuff one thing that we did notice in and maybe mark you can fill us in on this but a and w is the restaurant of choice they were everywhere most canadian towns that we drove through a and w and subway every town Uh, as far as canadiana goes um subway yeah canadiana i mean to be canadian what you find in canada that way subway is everywhere all towns have a subway tim hortons is by far and away the most popular pit stop for refreshments a and w i used to go with my parents as a kid you know i don't and they had one of those cool ones where they come out your car and rest the thing on the window of the car you know but there are they're around, but yeah, maybe it's more in the northwest like that. They're, yeah, yeah, kind of. They're no more popular here than any other fast food restaurant chain that you would be used to in the U.S. We ended up stopping at A and W because we're like, if there's an A and W in every town that we drive through that's got any size at all, we got to. It must be good, but it's not so good. <laughs> it's the same as they are down here. Yeah. <laughs> But as a kid, no, I remember, no like you, Mark, I remember going and thinking that was awesome. It was just like... As kids, it was all good. Yeah. yeah. It just wasn't that great. So we did that in Whitehorse. And then from Whitehorse all the way to Haines Junction, there is nothing but just pristine wilderness. Awesome, just... Boreal forest. Cruising, yeah. So pretty. And you, but, uh, Whitehorse, sorry, Whitehorse has a population of 25,000 people. Um, I think that was, sorry, in 2016. Now, the whole entire Yukon is estimated to be 37,000 people. Oh, well, that <laughs> sums it up. And that's about go. what we saw, is we saw a lot of people in Whitehorse and nobody anywhere else. Until we got all the way to Haines Junction, which is still in the Yukon. And that's where you can turn off and drive to Haines, Alaska, or continue on and go all the way up into... Uh, cross up where we crossed the border into back into Alaska. So how long did that drive take from Whitehorse to the border into Alaska? That was a good long day. That was another at least eight hours. But they had a lot of elk crossing signs 
out of Whitehorse? I don't know. The elk population must be so pretty you, healthy there because there were elk, you know, the, the yellow signs right. marking wildlife crossing. It was all elk. And it was pretty cool all along the way. And Missy tried to film a lot of them, but there'd be bighorn sheep or stone sheep. There'd be moose. There'd be buffalo. But this was all elk. And I'd heard somebody talking. I don't think the elk were traditionally there, were they? I'd have to look that up. I'm busy looking at maps, and I could see you know, the way you went now through Detoke, right? Through Beaver Creek? Yep. Mm -hmm. Beaver Skirted Creek is the last the town you pass through before you get into Toke. Before you cross mm -hmm. back into Alaska. I didn't look at the map earlier. I was hoping you were going through Dawson, but I see you went south of Dawson. That would have been a lot longer day to have done that. Yeah, and I think we would have had to, once we were in Alaska, it would have, we would have had to turn there and go up to Dawson, which was, I think, another hundred and some miles to come that way. So Yukon is herd to two, sorry, home to two herds of elk, apparently. The border crossing was cool. We, the guy that sits there must not see that many people because he talked our ear off. The customs, the it, U.S. You customs. really excited? Huh? You really excited? Asked you a lot of questions, got really excited. But he, he was, I was more asking him questions. I'm like, what's it like sure. to live here? He's like, well, this is where we all come to retire because you get an extra per diem to work there because nobody wants to work there because it's so slow. But he said, he said, this is where everybody comes to retire. And I said, when are you retiring? He's like, this year. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, it, the, as far as being out in the wilderness, he, he doesn't think he's going to leave. He's going to live the rest of his life. He loves it. Sure. He said there's tons of fishing and recreating, and he's got himself a canoe, and he just spends every day off there. It was, it was pretty fun to talk to him. I would have talked to him for another 30 minutes. We if, probably talked to him for about 15 minutes. Yeah, just and there's a car behind me. That's why I felt like I had to leave. I see. It was but just two was, cars, us and them. And I, if I'd have been behind that other car and nobody else was showing up, I would have stayed for an hour just because I, I feel like he would have had a lot of cool information. And that's, and I don't think it's me being biased, but I think as soon as we crossed into Alaska, it felt like it got. I don't know. You're driving through a wildlife refuge to start. So there's a wildlife refuge right there, and I don't remember the Teslin, I think, or something mm -hmm. like that. And then you go into Wrangell St. Elias. So you're seeing these monster mountains. And Wrangell St. Elias, is, I think, is the biggest national park in our system. I think it's like 25 million acres or something ridiculously big. We should probably yeah. double-check that. Yeah, you're throwing stuff out here. i got to keep up. Let me jump back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look at that, that next. So there are 300 elk estimated in the Yukon. But they're all right around Whitehorse. Yeah. 300. Yeah, the population map shows them to the north and northwest of Whitehorse. Just this little pocket of the Yukon, probably 1 30th of the territory where these elk are. So that's why those signs were right around the city of Whitehorse. Yeah, and they're not native. They weren't, or they weren't introduced into the Yukon until 1951. So they haven't really been there that long. It sounds like there's one road sign for every elk. Well, the they must be on the road there a lot. And the <laughs> habitat, when I'm driving through there, I'm like, this is perfect elk habitat. So for me, the habitat, I'm like, and I'm, I even was, was commenting to Missy, I'm like, this is perfect elk habitat. So it makes sense that they would be there. But I don't recall, I, re I remember a, 
a fellow photographer saying he'd seen the first elk in the Yukon a couple of years ago when he was driving through. But I don't think it's known for it, but... Well, there's complaints on here about farmers <laughs> saw elk problems, too. You've got if, 300 you head of elk, and they're complaining about crop damage. Right. <laughs> Not, again, this... So Wrangell St. Elias National Park is 13.2 million acres. Yeah, I just looked it up. It's 20,000 square miles of mountain wilderness. That's crazy. It says it's 50,000 square kilometers or 25% larger than Switzerland. So when we crossed over that Alaska, that border and you're in Alaska, it's just... It's like boom. It was like boom. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And then that drive all the way from the border to Toke, which is where we spent the night, we only had five hours to Anchorage, right? So, and we got to Toke and there was no hotels. We couldn't find a hotel. Everything was booked. We had some recommendations, but you have no cell phone coverage. When I'm at the border, I asked the, the customs guy, I'm like, so when will we get cell phone coverage? He's like, in 83 miles when you get to Toke. So we're like, there's no way. We're just gonna have to drive there and check it out. We checked it out, nothing. We're driving out of town and we happened to see one last hotel. We stopped in there and they had a room available. So we ended up spending the night there, but I was prepared to drive that other five more hours and go right into Anchorage. And I'm glad we didn't, because when we woke up early in the morning and drove into Anchorage, the views were just unbelievable. We had cameras mounted on the truck the whole way, so the video we do about this trip is gonna be a lot of just camera mounted to the truck and you're just seeing this awe-inspiring travel all the way through BC, Alberta, the Yukon, Alaska, it, and lots in Yellowstone too. So it should be pretty cool. It's just going to be a lot of driving. I'm hoping we can just take some of this content from this podcast and we'll put match that up with what people are seeing. We ended up finding a, a Pine Martin on the side of the road. Oh. And we had the GoPro, or I had the Osmo Action mounted to the front of the truck, and that little guy just stood up on the side of the road right in front of the, auction, right in front of the camera. And he's just like, you know, they're so long and lanky, and he's just standing there. like He looked like a fence post just standing there, and he's like looking around. He didn't care about us at all. And then he just starts bouncing you know, like they do, and we just were rolling right behind him, and he's just bouncing down the road. And then finally, the, I could hear a car coming, so I told Missy, I said, let's just scare him off the road because otherwise he's just going to get run over. He, he, you know, if he's just messing around with us and just curious, if he happens to dart out and get run over, I would feel horrible. So, Right. But They're fearless. Yeah. We made our way all the way down out of Toke, and then you hit um, Glen Allen, and then from Glen Allen right into Anchorage, and we ended up making it here about 3 o'clock mm-hmm. into Anchorage. Home sweet home. Home sweet home. It was pretty amazing. It was an epic drive. So my biggest takeaways are do it in a modern vehicle. Don't worry about the vehicle. Do it in a camper van. Have a good GPS. Good GPS. Have an inReach with you. Drive in the morning. Drive in the evening. But don't drive late at night because there's a lot of wildlife that you could have a lot of big problems. Michael kept wishing he had cruise control. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I didn't have cruise control. That's a big deal. That would be a problem for me. For 3,500 miles, that's a big... I get it might have been a, a brand bit. new thing in 1987. Was it just a couple of years? I think around that time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's probably not that common on a... You know, this is a stick shift, too, so you just... You probably wouldn't want to have too much cruise control on that. 
But anyway, it was an epic drive. I highly recommend it. If it's huge amounts of time, huge amounts of time. You, and if you're going to do it from the lower 48 or from anywhere in Canada and come here and then have to go back, you know, you're talking four weeks and that's not stopping a lot. That's pretty much moving. So if you want to see anything, you're going to have to plan at least six weeks. Uh, a good friend do it a couple of years ago from Ontario. They bought a fifth wheel. He and his wife went from Ontario all the way up through Alaska and back down the West Coast. And But yeah, it was, I don't remember, it was at least six weeks, if not more, because they were sightseeing along the way. And if you did that, you'd be able to do the Cassiar and the Alcan, which would be kind of cool. I suppose if you did a lap. Sorry, Ron, what, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, when we did the podcast before you guys left, Missy had talked about buying some apps that showed gas fuel stations, fuel stops, hotels, all that kind of thing. It sounds like they were pretty much unusable with the phone service that you had, right? Yeah, and you know, we found that gas really wasn't a problem. We we found gas pretty much all the way through. I did. I had an extra five gallon tank, and I never put gas in it. Yeah, I did not use any of the apps because I couldn't get on them. And I never got the, I never got the spot alerts. And we never even turned it on. It cost me $65 to activate that sucker and we never turned it on. Really? I'm glad we had it. But we, yeah, we activated it right after the check engine light came on. <laughs> if you guys would have sent up the Missy 6 signal... You know I'd have come wherever you were, just get that on film. <laughs> we were going slow enough. I don't think I had any problems. I did doze off a couple times, but I don't think you got any shots of it. I'm too busy wrangling that beast of a truck. So overall, did, did the scenery and the wildlife and the experiences you had make it feel like an enjoyable trip? I mean, or did it feel like a long endurance drive? Which which side of this equation did it lean to more? It sounded like you had good weather for a lot of the driving. I thought it was awesome. I would do it again. Yeah, it was. It was a. You would. It, it didn't, didn't feel, feel like too a long. Marathon. No, I. Right. I wouldn't right. mind it stopping more and making it longer. To tell you the truth. Yeah, well, if maybe. we wouldn't have had the car problems and had the situation where you could camp on the side of the road at any point. Yeah, I would I would turn I would it into a three or four week trip and not have that that nagging feeling like we had to get to Anchorage. I would have stopped and saw so much stuff. We got kept getting all kinds of recommendations from people along the way that they would be like, Make sure you stop at the Laird Hot Springs, make sure you stop at Stone Mountain, make sure you stop at Kluwani, make sure you stop at Muncho Lake, and we didn't, because I was just like, I'm not going to stop. I just want to get this truck to Anchorage. I At that point, I had said, okay, let's, this is more of an exploratory trip. We're going to do this again. We're going to do it differently, but this is a good opportunity to learn and share our knowledge and then pass it along and then try it again at some other point. If it you had like a sprinter van, I think that would be the ticket. Yeah. Sounds like there's new friends of the podcast along the way as well. 
we met so many people that are familiar with the podcast. It was amazing. You know, I was wearing the hat, so people would see that, and they're like, I listened to that podcast. And then we met this kid in Yellowstone. His name is Tanner Perks. His uh, Instagram handle is Perks of the Outdoors. I think it's not Perks, like P-E-R-K-S. It's P-E-R-K-E-S. Mark, you follow him. Because I wasn't following him. I started following him. But we were sitting on the side of the road in Yellowstone, and this young man definitely... He's, he's doing it right. He, we had found a bear, and Missy and I were like, let's just get way up ahead, and that bear's working up the road. Let's just get way up, pull off the road, and wait for that bear to pass us. And when I got to that point, guess who was sitting there? Tanner was sitting there. He was doing the same thing. He had all the respect for the animal. He was sitting there waiting for the animal. And, you know, so many people, when this the first bear they see, they stop right parallel with that animal, and then they just alters the behavior, and then these bears oftentimes just take off into the woods. But Tanner, we were sitting there, and Tanner looks over at, uh, at Missy and I, and he's like, you're from the Wild and Exposed podcast. I was like, yeah, we are. And he knew our names and everything. He knew the truck. He, he, was, he was pretty cool. So we awesome. told him we were going to give him a shout-out on the podcast. And then there was another guy in the Northern Rockies there who was like, I listen to this podcast all the time. And then I heard a couple That's Eric. People. That's Eric Brewer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was a, It was someone else. Love you, man. Just joking with you. Well, and then, of course, we heard a lot where people, photographers that I know, I feel like they know as much as we know, they would be talking to me. They're like, we love the pro tips. We love the question of the week. We love all this stuff that you guys are putting out there. So they felt like it was a, the pro tips are the one thing that people just are saying, well, I learn so much every time. I feel like there's not a lot of stuff that we're putting out there that it's like, oh yeah, I knew that. People are really excited about it, so it was it was kind of cool to hear and see and talk to people. Well, that's our that's our desire, that's our hope, our goal, right? Is that here and there we're going to hit one where it helps people along, and that's you know something about today's podcast. You know, for those of you that are thinking of this kind of road trip, fire the questions in to Michael and Missy. They've done it now. They've learned a lot. They're ready to try it another time from a different perspective and yeah if you're thinking of it let us know and any yeah. questions and we have, yeah absolutely yeah even the the points to where to photograph stuff i mean i think Kluwani would be awesome and Kluwani's a huge lake and there were lots of bears along that road and that was one place where missy made made me stop she's like you got to stop i'm going to try to film this bear it was a really pretty chocolate male grizzly bear and he was on the hunt for a female, and you know he just wasn't cooperative. And it was midday light, so it wasn't yeah. that great to photograph. But he was just a pretty enough bear where Missy's like, I want to try to get some shots. Kalani is is a national park in the southwest uh, Yukon, west of Whitehorse, right? Yep. And it's uh, eight thousand five hundred square miles. Yeah, it's a biggie. That lake is huge. You drive along that. We drove so you know past some lakes that were just like huge for colorado standards they would just there's not a lake in colorado that's that big i don't think any of these lakes we drove next to all the rivers mucho rivers the amount of rivers you just like there's so much water in this world that's just cruising down these rivers it's amazing from glacial rivers to regular rivers to there were no creeks there were no like little streams it was just major rivers everywhere we went 
Well, uh, even the drive north from Banff and the mountain rivers and streams there in springtime, it's quite a sight. A lot of opportunities for great landscapes, dramatic light. I love playing with the, even the, the uh, Osmo Pocket or smartphone and doing slow-mo stuff on, on some of the waterfalls up yep. close. It's you a great drive to I, make sure you have all of your Wild and Exposed podcasts downloaded and you can listen to it the whole way. Oh, you know, that was one thing I, I wanted that. to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are familiar with the Dirtbag Diaries, right? That Absolutely. podcast? I'm, yeah, big fan. So I'm a big fan too, right? But I haven't listened to them since 2017. I've been saving them for a trip like this because I was, you know, those will run the gamut from a 10 minute little short story to an hour long podcast. And I, we just started, we drove all the way through BC and part of the Yukon just on Dirtbag Diary. It was awesome. Back to back to back to back to back. And it was just great was ways great. to pass the time. And we did some meat eater podcast and we did some, uh, visual revolutionary podcasts we uh, yeah i would definitely load up your favorite podcast lineup playlist and for that wild a trip like exposed. that well yeah we didn't list a wild and exposed because we <laughs> kind of know all the content awesome but definitely well, sounds have, like have those lined up sounds like we're gonna have to get three sprinter vans <laughs> and do this again it would be amazing <laughs> Someday I have I have an itch to be a bit nomadic that way, and there's so many places. You know, we a trip like this, um, and with Don Wilson, with the trip that she did the podcast last fall, where she yep. got RV and toured around to all of her bucket list destinations on that road trip she wanted to do. You know, the parks are one thing, but to me, there's just this unwavering draw to the far north in so many wilderness places. To experience and I wouldn't want to have to drive through so much of the Yukon so quickly but to be able to go to Kluwani and and have a, whether it's a sprinter van that you can sleep in or some way with a tent that you can put up and just spend the week and just take it in the, the big and the small right that's one thing that we love about our trips that we do especially in autumn blueberries blueberries fall colors hiking lichen all the and the animals and it's something to experience so I was it's telling Missy, if you left Alaska in like the end of September, right, or maybe middle of September, and just made your way all the way down, just did that trip in reverse, it would be phenomenally epic. <laughs> <laughs> That's five epics for the show, people. Five, five and a phenomenal. <laughs> you even got the phenomenal in there. Well done. No, that's one of my favorite things. That's why I work so hard trying to get all of my marketing and editing done in the spring to free up that fall season to start in the far north and slowly make my way south to stay. It's not just the fall color you stay with. It's the animal activity you stay with. It's the changing. It's the landscape, the topography, the country changes as you go further south. There's, it's something that would be, to me, I would love doing this drive anytime, except midwinter, of course. But coming down through autumn would be spectacular because of the opportunities. And I, think have it, I, think so. I think it would. And I think you would have the same opportunities all along the way. And then you'd have those, most of those animals that have their winter coats on by then, or they would start to have that growth. So it would look really, really pretty. And 
Just the number of roadside signs that you see for wildlife that just says, watch for elk, watch for caribou, watch for bison, watch for sheep, watch for, you know, you just know these areas are going to be good at some point for those animals. I mean, we saw tons of caribou signs and we only saw one caribou on the whole trip. But, you know, this time of year, they're already kind of dispersed and they're already, you know, out in their calving grounds. And so I guess to wrap it up, what would you say? Do it. Do it. Do it again. Can't wait to do it again. I would turn around and go back tomorrow if I had time and and the right right truck. Well, yeah, you want to have confidence in your vehicle so it's not a stressor throughout the trip. It was part of the adventure to take your older truck, and you put a lot into refurbishing it, and it was arguably in great shape yeah, and made it. it but was. it it was a dis- it turned out to be a more of a distraction than you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, for a thirty-year-old vehicle to do that is sure. pretty amazing. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing more of this, more of the story, and I hope that our audience has enjoyed learning and hearing about your ultimate road trip. It's- the country that you've seen. I hope we can see some more of it through your eyes and go to check out our show notes at wildandexposed.com. Also keep following along and for the stories that Missy will be putting up as well as the content on Wild and Exposed Instagram and Facebook. And make sure that YouTube is on your radar because we'll be putting more and more content up there. It's part of our priority as this year progresses. And to watch the clip that Michael and Missy will put together from this road trip, so Wild and Exposed podcast on YouTube. And what you need to do on any of these podcast platforms or on YouTube, make sure to hit the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date and to give us that positive review of a five-star rating, the thumbs up that helps us to continue to do what we'd love to do and to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. Also on YouTube, hit that bell icon. If you don't hit the bell icon, You don't receive a notification when a new video clip gets put up. And that's important. We want you to be kept up to date with our newest work and content that we want to share with you. Missy, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. And thanks in advance for all the hard work you're going to be doing on this podcast before it airs. You're a great producer. And until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) 